You're listening to Beyond Numbers, a podcast by Zero for accountants and bookkeepers. In this series, you'll hear from leaders within some of the accounting industry's pace-setting firms who will share news, views, and creative solutions so you can step away with some inspiration or new ideas to take back to your own business. I'm Ash Gibson, your host for Season 1. In this episode, I was joined by two experts in the accounting industry. Andy Mackey, Transformation Director at Azets, the UK's largest regional accountancy network, and Kat Bond, Head of Partner Consulting and Success at Zero, to discuss change management and digital transformation. From government legislation to tech innovation and new ways of working, the accounting industry continues to change at pace, and there's no sign of it letting up. Andy has been a specialist in tech-enabled business change for over 25 years and is responsible for Azet's transformation projects in particular, migrating the firm's clients to digital platforms with Zero at the core. Kat leads a team of experts focused on supporting Zero accounting partners on their digitalization journey. She's seen a lot of successes and failures across firms, big and small. In this episode, Kat and Andy share first-hand experience and advice on where to start and how to make your change projects successful. Welcome to you both. Hi. Hello. Cool. So Andy, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself and your background? I always start with, uh, I'm not an accountant, um, just because I'm currently working in the accountancy sector, I'm definitely not an accountant. So there's no accountancy in my background. My background nearly all IT. So I came out of university, did what lots of people do, kind of fell into a job um, and worked for many years, probably 12 years, Birmingham City Council, different roles, um, firstly in education, then into corporate. And then had a bit of a kind of milestone career moment when Capita came in and outsourced all of the IT department in Birmingham City Council. For many people, that was a real um, challenge, the kind of threatening time, but it was um, kind of took the shackles off for me. So as a result, I went to work for again, working in IT. And, and I guess looking back, all of it was about change. Um, I had 1,800 staff at one point. I've major accounts. I've run software businesses. I've run acquisitions. Um, and after 14 years, I guess, um, fancied another change, which is where you find me today, um, working as it's um, doing more change, all technology-driven change, uh, and running UK Transformation Programme for as you said, one of the UK's uh, leading accountants, top 10 firm and largest provider of services to the SME sector. Nice. What's what's Azet's ambition then? So Azet's ambition is is all about growth. So we are a business that is aiming to grow our market. We're aiming to take advantage of, of MTD and take our market share in that space. But also, I guess, push accountants up the value chain so that we move accountants into the areas where they deliver most value for our clients. Um, working in, in partnership with Zero, we're really looking to take some of the drudgery out of accountancy to automate as much as possible um, and get ourselves ready for that digital journey. So really use technology to um, transform the accountancy sector, transform how Azets both does um, delivers the accountancy service, but also provides better services for its clients. Kat, you're a long-standing member of the Zero team, joining the business in 2014 as a senior account manager and then spending the past five or six years in sales and consulting leadership roles. Tell us a bit more about your background and what your current role as Head of Partner Consulting and Success entails now. 
Yes, my uh, my ever changing role at Zero. So, um, so yeah, I joined the business eight and a half years ago, um, having worked in the industry previously. So, I worked for some of the other big software houses um, in UK tax and accounting, um, and did do a very short spell in accountancy. So, um, I think you mentioned earlier on Ash about having trained accountants. I'm probably one of the people that isn't classified as a trained accountant in consulting and success. Um, so I um, I was adamant I was going to be an accountant. I was convinced that that's what I wanted to be. I picked a degree that helped me get exempt from lots of my ACA and finished my degree and joined practice and didn't particularly like it. Um, and so I, I think I just found it a very different world to what I expected and in turn ended up on a graduate trainee um, a sales scheme at um, Iris. And that kind of got me off on the tra- trajectory that I'm on now. So I um, I worked in sales of accounting and tax software and worked for a few other large software companies and eventually found myself at Zero, where I have um, developed more than anywhere else, I would say. I think I have um, been an individual contributor, led a sales team, led the consulting team, led vertical strategy. And I'm now taking on um, partner success as well as consultancy. So, yeah, I get a really nice, varied role here. Very cool. And we're continually changing and evolving at Zero, and so is this industry, you know, more generally. Having worked so closely with a lot of accounting and bookkeeping firms, what have you seen as some of the most significant changes that firms have had to overcome in recent years? So recently, it's hard not to talk about MTD. I think it's that thing that people want to avoid at times and are probably sick of hearing. Um, But the reality is that MTD is one of the biggest change drivers that we have seen. Um, The only thing I can think of prior to that would probably be computerizing the tax returns. Um, So I think MTD has to be seen as a key driver for change in our industry. But that, and also I'd say a bit of a shift in macroeconomics. So I think you look at... um, the way the world works now. Um, and we do all operate in a slightly different way to what we did 10 years ago. Like 10 years ago, it wasn't that common to be checking your bank balance on an app on your phone and to use um, two-factor authentication in pretty much normal everyday things. We used to go get videos from Blockbuster as opposed to use Netflix. And so I think some of those things have also been huge contributors that we sometimes forget about a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, can you tell us about some of the transformation projects that you're working on at Azets at the moment and, and what's driving the need for that change? Azets is is a, a very acquisitive business. So we've bought company after company, you know, some near 80 businesses have joined the Azets group in the UK alone. And you can't um, exploit that scale unless you're going to do some work around standardising systems and standardising processes, and you're not going to get any efficiencies out of it. So that was one of the uh, primary reasons for undertaking the transformation program was to say, actually, you know, we don't want to be just a, a group of small businesses all behaving independently. What we want to be is that top 10 firm, is that uh, largest provider of, of services to the SME sector. And we want to be consistent in how we do it. Um, we want to be able to move work around the business, office to office, region to region. And we want all assets clients to have access to all assets services, not just the ones that maybe were present in their region. So those those are the big drivers. And the, the transformation program's been structured very much to 
deliver all of that. So um, anything from standardizing how we use our practice management system, rolling out consistent um, finance system, payroll system, HR system, really trying to, some of it's about giving assets um, a kind of identity. So having one HR system, super important, right? But when you buy businesses, they all come with their own one. Um, having a common and standard way of delivering management accounts, you know, rolling out some of the tooling like Silverfin that we have, really, really important from an efficiency perspective, but also a standardization perspective, and then being able to kind of give people a bit of a cultural boost to say, actually, we know what we are now, we're assets, you know, we're not that old business, we're gonna do things the assets way. And then um, latterly, uh, we focus very much on our external client proposition, which is where we start to work much more closely with Zero, with Dext and uh, other partners in other sectors. Ultimately, we want to be the provider of choice for that market. If we're going to do that, we've got to have a proposition that is um, desirable. Um, and, and also in an awful lot of cases, much more consumer driven than corporate. So let's let's talk a bit about change management as a concept. A lot of people listening in may be familiar with the change curve, but Andy, why don't you talk us through it? You know, shock, denial, anger, etc. Look, I'm not a massively formal change practitioner, but I have done an awful lot of change. And I realized a long time ago, virtually everything I was doing in technology space was change. Well, I was only in it for change. And, you know, more and more, if you anybody <laughs> ever looks at my LinkedIn profile or resume, you know, I don't... You tend to come in, implement change, and then go, I don't tend to do the business as usual stuff. So you learn an awful lot about yourself from kind of your own personal experiences and seeing others' experiences. And that, so that you kind of get to that initial shock denial. And it's that, you know, why is this happening to me? And I remember being sat in Birmingham City Council, um, running a profitable business, delivering IT to a bunch of schools that were really happy, uh, and thinking, why on earth am I part of this change program? Why on earth are they coming and meddling with me? There's nothing wrong with what we're doing. The clients like it. We make money. Um, and these, these people are coming in and messing around with that, think they can do it better. What do they know? They don't know as much as me. We're, we're the subject matter experts in this. And you kind of go through all of this um, shock and denial phase. And, and that's when you have to realize people are upset. They are shocked. Um, and it's important to put yourself in their shoes, to sit on the other side of the bench and say, actually, what, what are they going through? And... To structure your change program to deal with that, so you make sure you're present, you make sure you're at that phase that you're talking to them in a way that is empathic um, and takes account of their feelings. You're not ramming it down their throat at this point, that you're actually working with them to try and kind of coax them along. It's not the point where you really push too hard, but you've got to um, keep the comms going. You kind of go through the next, the, the big dip, the anger and depression phase of the curve, and you, it's happening. So they've got past the shock and the denial, and, and actually we're now at a point where pff, it's happening. There's not a lot I can do about it, but I'm probably going to disengage at this point. I'm going to try to, and I'm going to sit back and watch it wash by the ostrich, ostrich with the head in the sand kind of thing. But actually, the trick here is to um, it, it make sure we're involved in the organisation as much as possible. Getting the senior teams on board at this phase is really important as well to get them to get the messaging to be strong, to get some leaders out there in the business to make sure that the um, the sponsorship is there. They're the people who are in touch with the teams on the ground. The, the change teams can only ever do so much. They can only ever be so visible. But keep that comms going as well. You know, as it's we we were really you know transformation is not just about a bit of change. If we're terminic transformation program. 
It's a big change. It's a big change. It would be multiple different projects all running at once, um, changing lots of areas of business. Get the whole business involved. Um, find the experts. Get those experts involved and almost give them some feeling of empowerment over their own future. So get the SMEs involved um, and ask their opinions and, and run things by them and just be constantly engaging um, is, is super important. The one... The one thing I always think is missing off the end of this, this, there's this integration blob at the end of the change curve, right, which is just a little blob. But actually, change has a long tail. So even when you think it's done, I think it's really important that you just don't disengage too quickly. Many organizations declare, you know, success and everybody leaves the pitch and they all run off to the hills. It's very easy for an organization to go back to the way it was and revert to type if you don't keep that um, momentum going. So as it's, we spend an awful lot of time right at the very end with a very thin sliver of just constant engagement with the business where we're what we call validating. So we're supporting the teams, we're making sure they're following processes, they're making sure that the processes are changed if need be, taking feedback, making sure everybody's happy basically. I think I'd be inclined to um, agree with you there Andy because so often we like we're talking about the Kubernetes change curve and you get to that um integration pieces at the end and that's where most leaders of change start off and it's so easy to forget all those phases because you have your vision but that communication piece the empathy the um just repetition complete repetition of your vision over and over and over again and making sure that you're getting people's buy-in and also feedback along the way is what has always proved really successful i think for us at, at zero it's um we we face a lot of change um and that's something that i'm guessing it's the same as that as well but um it's really easy for you to stand there delivering the vision for change without all of those steps in between you've probably already been through those as you've developed the vision um and worked out some of those so the empathy piece and the communication and just painting that vision is really key for me yeah one of the things that we found as well, again, with comms is even if it only affects a few people, say it affects 20% of the organization, tell everyone. And the reason you want to tell everyone, and it, and it does take a bit of commitment from the business as well, is because those 20% of the people want somebody to talk to in the kitchen when they're going to make a cup of tea. And, and it's important that everybody else knows what they're going through and how it's going to impact them. In assets, we were changing everybody was getting some getting a good dose of change you know everything was changing all over the place and that was just a necessary cycling as its evolution but um yeah i do think it's so important that people have got uh, there is awareness around the whole organization of of change i think that's super important i think that helps with mindset as well is it is it kelly holmes that always used to say 80 percent um, of your success is your mindset whereas only 20 percent of it is actual talent I might be attributing that to the wrong person, um, but I'm pretty sure it was Kelly Holmes. Um, and I think that's a really fair thing that like get people in the right mindset about change and they're going to be so much more willing to change. Um, whereas if it's seen as something that's imposed on people, then you're going to create that challenge for yourself. Like, uh, contextualizing it. I th- I'm a big believer in, in contextualizing it for people. So, it, you know, having benefits that are purely financial or purely efficiency driven or talking about the valuation of a business or whatever it is, doesn't float most people's boat, right? They come to work to do a good job. They want some work satisfaction. They want a bit of um, community around the business. They want some identity. 
But generally, they're not that fussed about the valuation of the business because they don't actually see how that's going to impact them or, you know, eking out another percentage on your EBITDA. But contextualize those benefits in terms that they will understand and that they can see some value in it for them and, and actually tell your story in terms of the individuals on the ground. You want their buy-in. You've got to get them on board. Without them, it will fail. Tell them why it's important, how it's going to make their life better. But they will understand. And when they understand, suddenly they're your biggest fan and they're all behind you marching along to the same beat. And um, you crack that. You made it. Um, not easy. Got to work at it. Totally. I think, you know, empathy and communication is uh, are incredibly valuable skills in all parts of our lives, aren't they? Whether it whether it's leadership or change or, you know, personal relationships are so important. Andy, you're, you're not an accountant, as you mentioned before, but you play this like hugely significant role in managing transformation as it's. How do you think not being an accountant by trade has, has either helped or hindered you in this role? Um, I definitely think it's helped. And I think it's helped because being a non-accountant, you come at this from a really just um, kind of purist. You ask the um, you ask the the stupid questions. You know why do we do it like that? Why why do you do why do you do this again? And, and how's this important? What about if? And coming at it from that perspective, I think you um, I haven't trained as an accountant. Most accountants have been accountants for a long time because there's an awful lot of training and dedication involved. They're absolute experts in what they do as accountants. Um, but they probably won't ever have delivered change. And I think it's been important to get a team in that is is not from the accountancy background to look at it and say, well, actually, you know, how are we going to change this organisation and bring some of that experience from different sectors along? Yeah, absolutely. And Kat, you said you trained in business and finance and you spent the majority of your career so far in sales roles within the accounting industry. Uh, you've been named a top 50 woman in accounting by the team at Practice Ignition, which recognizes those who are driving change and creating opportunities for the next generation within the accounting and bookkeeping industry. How have you found it being so deeply involved in an industry and forging your way through without having an accountancy background? So I guess I don't have an accountancy background, but spent a lot of time in accountancy practices. To a certain degree, I think it it kind of helps sometimes, similar to what Andy's saying, it helps not to be in all of the detail because you ask more questions. You, I, I tend to class myself as naturally nosy, um, but maybe inquisitive is probably a better way to go. I'm, I'm just curious about why people do things the way they do it. And, and that's helpful because you end up forming um, quite a broad picture and you don't hone in on specifics and detail. You start to to have a, a broader vision and be able to look at, at things um, from a different perspective. So it's it's always helped me, I guess, having the understanding of accounting, actually spending uh, 12 months working in practice and doing a degree that relates to accounting means that I, I have um, an understanding of how accounts work, although I probably won't do them uh, spot on. And I'm pretty sure they'd be going for review by multiple other people. Um, I am not someone you want in your practice doing accounts for you. Um, <laughs> but but at least have um understanding of how um how things operate within a practice which has always always been helpful that's something i'll never regret going and spending that time working at the accountancy practice and going to uh financial training college and starting my aca um but like i say just the reality is that it wasn't for me again coming at, we've come at this from you know how's technology going to help 
the, the accountancy sector, particularly in assets, in, improve? How are we going to become a technology-driven digital accountancy practice? And um, and again, it, it bringing that experience from different sectors along just to say, well, actually, how did other people do it? How did they do it in insurance? Legal. How did they do it in legal? Because legal is probably a few years ahead of the accountancy sector, but also very similar in many aspects in, mm-hmm. in the, the compliance that's required and the regulation. So I think that's um, that's another asset that, that it brings. I think that other industries is really helpful. My, um, I, I remember looking at where we could then steal things from other industries. And one of the key things that I looked at was things like uh, manufacturing and really simplistic things like your process mapping in manufacturing where you're looking to shave off like milliseconds. Yep. The whole concept of that is so easily then applied to how we actually do accounts and tax. So, And even how we operate as a business at zero. So there's so much that you can lift and shift in principle. And delving into those different industries helps you understand more and more about that. Um, I think yeah. if you speak into um, my REGMSLs, he talks a lot about Formula One and what you can learn from like, um, the pit stop in Formula One. And I think that the fact is that you can look at most industries and say, what can we learn? How can we apply it? Um, and then take the best bits. We um, Exactly that. We, we My team... Mm-hmm. Um, is heavy on business analysts. You know, we analyse the processes. Some of my um, other colleagues have come from contact centre, service centre type backgrounds where it's not pit stops, right? But we know everything about how long it took to, to service that customer request from start to finish. And we know about the quality of it and we know about the um, the bits that could improve. And, and it's all about those, the, the kind of Dave Brailsford team sky, you know, the incremental gains. It's those small bits of time. And again, if you're building a business like assets, we're actually you're trying to build scale now. We're trying to consolidate things together. We're trying to do things consistently. Those um, those incremental or marginal gains are what makes the difference in the price to the customer at the end and and the quality of the service as well. Our zero partners, accountants and bookkeepers across the UK, this this firms of all sort of shapes and sizes, and and no matter how big or small, every firm has to manage change in one form or another what about small change so you know it might be might be marginal as you as you sort of talk about Andy but you know how, how do you know when to bring in someone to actually support you with that change at what level does it need to be I think um, you're not going to bring in specialists to deal with you know bits and pieces of small change but there's always a place for small change in a business and I think small change doesn't have to just be about um, you know, cashable benefits either. Small change could be as simple as making somebody's job less onerous, taking away that bit of the job that actually they don't like anymore. Um, and, you know, I, I remember at Zero Con, one of the guys on stage was um, for a fairly small business. They, were, they weren't an enormous practice, but again, they were so heavy on change and and just um, making those improvements in their business. So when when would I bring in the kind of specialists, I suppose, if you're going to draw a bit of a program of change, you're going to want to do a bunch of stuff that maybe takes you know, three or four months. I would always say bring in somebody who's who's done some change, is familiar with both the change curve, but also the kind of formal approach to change. Don't be afraid of it, because I think it's it's probably going to be the best money that you've ever spent. Business analysts, you know, just somebody to go through your business and to document processes. Once you've documented a process, it's a massively powerful thing. It takes a bit of effort. But once it's documented, you can start to look at technologies like automation. You can start to look at – and they're not out of reach because a lot of codeless automation now is 
actually, it's pretty cheap to deliver. Um, but you've got to start somewhere um, and, and, you know, documenting processes, that kind of business analyst approaches is a, a good starting point. Um, not everyone needs an assets scale change program. Um, but I think a lot of businesses in this sector would be surprised how much they could benefit if, if they did bring some people in who are not accountants and more focused on the change space, just how what a difference it would make to them and the benefits they'd get. Kat, you and your team obviously work with a lot of accounting firms going through digital transformations, but also, you know, change of change of all sorts, really. Um, and often zero is at the core of that change. Do you want to talk us through some examples of what your team, particularly on the partner consulting side of the business, is focused on? Yeah, definitely. So I guess um, I think it's fair to say that change is constant. Um, it's something that is always ongoing and that's... Um, that's something that we feed into our team. So so what we've got with the partner consulting team is quite interesting. It was historically all of our partner consultants were um, chartered accountants, whereas now we've got a real selection of people that we just class as experts, to be honest. So we've got people that are um, SEMA qualified, ACCA, ACA, we've got AAT. Um, so yes, there's a lot of accounting background there, but we've also got change managers and project managers and other skills that we start to bring into that. Um, people who have previously been software trainers. Um, and the reason that we started to to kind of build out that skill set is because what we're doing with that team goes beyond just having a qualified accountant sat in there and teaching someone how to use Xero because we, we talk about digital transformation. Um, a lot of the time people look at digital transformation. It's one of those terms that kind of sometimes means nothing, sometimes means everything. I think um, the reality of digital transformation is that if you do digital transformation properly, then what you're doing is building a solution to solve for today's challenges and the way that we deal with customers in today's world. And so it's actually all encompassing. It's not a case of let's just shift part of our process and move it online. Whereas the the vision that many people have for digital transformation is almost just taking what they already have and putting it into a digital process, which then I think I used this quote when I was at ZeroCon, but um, ultimately a digital transformation done well is a beautiful butterfly and done badly. It's just a fast caterpillar. So all we're doing is taking exactly what we did before and then changing the product that we do it on. What we found was by introducing those different skill sets into the team and actually actively encouraging and training people through things like change management, project management, that that meant that people were going out with a much broader mindset on digital transformation and were going in and were willing to speak to our partners and challenge people about are they set up in the best way to actually embrace digital transformation or actually are they just at that point right now where they just need to move something into an online solution because that's all part of the journey, but shouldn't be the entire vision. Um, so I guess that, that's the angle we come from in partner consulting. We have this view that even experts need experts. I think um, it's true in all fields. Um, and we do continue to grow that team out and to look for different skill sets that we'll need as we carry on on this journey, because ultimately zero is not at the end either. We're still going through a journey and trying to work out what are the skill sets we need and how else we drive our partners so that they get to fully transform their practices and we get to fully transform what we're doing as well. Um, the, it's interesting establishing what people need because you 
um, people buy into a project with us. They they work out what they're going to do, but they don't necessarily know what they don't know at that point in time. So that becomes quite an interesting part for our digital transformation consultants to get involved in, to map out what is required to make that project successful for any of our partners. And it will differ. For some partners, um, they won't need a great deal. For other partners, um, they won't realise that they need a great deal. And then there's always going to be some people that actually... It's just going to be incremental change. Yeah. Have you seen any major fails in your experience working with firms making change or, or even at zero? <laughs> um, I think we all have. Anyone that's involved in change has always seen things that you thought, oh, probably wouldn't do that again. Um, I'm not sure how many of those I'm going to call out, though, to be honest. Um, but ultimately, the, the the biggest areas of failure we see is when, um, when there isn't buy-in. And um, and that's that's the hardest thing I would say that I think sometimes there is great, great, great intentions, but there's a huge gap from this is what we intend to do and the actual execution. And so that vision piece and gaining the buy-in is really key. And if you want to gain the buy-in of your team, then it's the leadership who have made the decision that they're moving ahead with something that have to get involved in that communication. They have to then iterate why is this important to you as a business and how does it impact the individuals along the way um, and exactly what Andy was saying earlier on that I think um, what uh, the reason why transformation might be so important to a partner of a firm will be completely different to why that's so important to the junior that's just started and so I think you almost need to think about what are those driving factors how does it change the day-to-day how does it make everyone's life better and if you can deliver that vision and that message firm-wide, then it gets you a long way there. So many of these projects and, and programs are driven by benefits cases as well. And the one, it doesn't matter what sector you're in, it doesn't matter what, you know, what business, big or small, make sure that we've got a really well-qualified and um, agreed benefits case so that everyone knows why we're doing this. And the, as you said, Kat, the benefits will be different depending where you are in the organisation. But... Um, what you need at the end of that project delivery is you need to be able to count those benefits. It's really hard when, you know, you've got a, a benefits case that maybe <laughs> the business doesn't recognise or won't recognise, or and it and it's mm. it's it's a common problem. Once you've got, I worked um, I worked for Capita when they set up a joint venture with Birmingham City Council, and the reason that partnership, which was enormous many um, hundreds of millions of pounds partnership. The reason it was successful was because both parties knew exactly what benefit they were expecting to get out of it. And both parties had agreed with the benefits that they were going to get out of that partnership. So the one side actually was a bit about profit, about growth, about course. The other side, it was all about efficiencies and transformation of working practices. Um, And that project, that program delivered. um, Why? Because both both pulling in the same direction. And, and uh, so those benefits cases are super important to get qualified and seniors have to be behind them. Hey, Andy, do you ever use um, change champions? We do, we do. Different flavours as well, which is interesting. So we have different flavours of change champions depending you know, which of the kind of projects that we're working on. Um, so at the minute, as, as, as you will know, we're rolling out um, Dexton Zero to many thousands of our clients. And we have what we call a digital delivery team to do that. And they're effectively, you know, champions out there in the field, traveling the length and breadth of the country, evangelizing, finding 
their champions across the offices as well, so that we actually, you know, have a, if you like, a, a local sponsor for that. We learned, and I would advocate everybody else to pay heed to, is it's not a side of desk job. It's not in that 30 minutes when you're not doing chargeable time. You need senior management to be um, bought into the concept that this is somebody's job, right? You need them to give them and make the time for them to be a change champion and do the job well um, and have an agreed allocation of time that that person's going to be working for the program. If you do that and you get the right people, it's so, so powerful. Yeah, change champions should be a permanent fixture. Super important. Do you think celebration is an important aspect of, of this change management process? Do you celebrate at the end of a project? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's look, we, we've done most of this during lockdown, so celebrations were limited. Right? But, um, um, you know, people leave a change programme as well, and they do move around and people come and go, and that's just the nature of change programmes. But, you know, we always make sure that we try and celebrate the positives you know, and both the people who've been involved in the change, but also the business as well. We should be incredibly proud of what we've done. Yes. And also, I guess, incentivization, encouragement. So almost like not waiting until you have perfection, but along the route, celebrating progress. We so often as a society get told that nobody loves change, like we don't like change. And the reality is that I, I, I don't think I buy into that because I... um drive my team and probably my husband insane with um the concept of kaisan that i i genuinely believe in the japanese concept of kaisan which is continual improvement that no matter what you do there's always tweaks that you can do to make it slightly better and um this is probably why i drive people insane that i'm like oh well we did have that perfect but shall we just um and it, and it's not um it it comes from a good place i would say is that i like I like to look for opportunity to improve things, whether it's improving someone's experience, improving the actual process of what we're doing, whether it's improving what we use to to complete a solution. And so I think um, it's just the way that I'm wired and I do, I do enjoy change. I do enjoy looking for new opportunities and finding better ways of doing things. I think that like that, that keeps me, I guess, inspired, motivated. Do you ever, do you ever find Kat though, that you, overextend yourself when it comes to all the things that you want to change it's it's hard isn't it not not to you see things that are not quite right yeah i think you have, you have to to a certain degree compartmentalize because otherwise you'd you'd just take a scattergun approach and so you do have to be a bit brutal with yourself about actually like what's the opportunity cost and where do we get the biggest gain and and also sometimes it's not about the biggest gain it's actually what's the most achievable that gives us some gain and takes us towards where we want to be um so i do think you have to be um you you have to manage yourself in that way otherwise you can get a little bit too excited <laughs> it's probably um, the fair way to put it it's the old there's the old um the old consultants phrase isn't there the boil in the ocean don't try and boil the ocean and um, I'm personally a big fan of just doing something as well. And so mm -hmm. I'll always, it's not going to be perfect, but at least it'll be a step in the right direction. I'll come back and revisit that and we'll make it closer to where we know it could be. But if we we procrastinate, we have decision by committee, meeting after meeting, you know, not a fan of that. You don't, don't get anywhere. So. No, and I think that that's where it's important that you have to execute as well. It's all good and well to talk about change, but there needs to be execution for it actually to be relevant. Um, yeah. 
you say about boiling the ocean, I say about eating the elephant. So I think we're probably uh, yeah. both the same on that. We've probably um, chewed the fat on that one before. How do you build a culture of continuous improvement? Like, how do you bring your teams along on that journey? Invite them. Get them to think about how you how you continue to improve things. I think some of it has got to come from mindset and it's not everyone's mindset. So you do in that that case have to question and challenge and um almost think of it like a coaching point, coach for uh, like growth mindset, coach mindset, like dig in to, to get other people to start to think about those things themselves and not be shy of coming forward. Um with my team in particular, I know I've got quite a broad team now. There's, um, I have a constant dialogue with them about how like, I, I can come up with an idea. It's never going to be the best idea unless we get everyone else to contribute to it because it's only my part of the idea from my perspective. Whereas if we can get lots of people contributing to that idea, challenging it, and then shaping that idea, then you get a considerably better idea because you get a load of um, cognitive diversity contributing to that idea which then makes it a much better idea um, I feel like I said idea about 400 times now. Um, and I think that that having that kind of mentality with the team does help it helps people feel willing to come out of the shell and say actually like I've got an idea and so I think some of it is some of it is willing to be present with a team to show them that that's the way that you think that you're not looking for perfection, that you're looking for progress and that that's really important that we're always moving forward. Um, and that then opens up the door for people to also get involved in those types of conversations themselves. The other thing is create those forums. So amongst a team, that's great. But, you know, in assets we're doing this and previous organisations we've done this is just to create those innovations forums, which actually open to everybody and make it fun as well. So get people used to the fact that, um, you know, you can submit your changes here and they'll be considered. And we've run kind of, I have to say, Dragon's Den style events. You're not allowed to say a Dragon's Den. Got into trouble for that. So a Dragon's Den style event where people's ideas come out and you get all the seniors, you know, and proper seniors as well. So they can see there's buy-in and they've got a confidence that if their idea is considered and makes it up, they'll, hey, they win a prize, right? But also um, that it will get executed. I'm going back to that that point, and then you create that culture where people will submit ideas and drive change themselves through the organisation. Going back to that point, they're the subject matter experts. They're the people who know where the pain points are in their daily job. Get them to surface them, and then fix them. What do you do when there are people who really struggle? Like they just won't budge. Um. I mean, it's, this is where you have to have the buy-in throughout the organisation. You've got to, provided it's not somebody um, extremely senior, um, you have to kind of go up and try and coax it from a kind of management layer down. Um, some people will never come on the journey with you. So sometimes that's fine and you can leave them where they are and maybe they go on a different path. Um, other times it's just not an option to not go on the journey. And it's really important that you can unblock that and you can um, deal with the naysayers. There'll always be people who are very, very happy to throw rocks from the sidelines. And then when you kind of look for who's throwing rocks, well, they've run away. And, and actually, sniping's dead easy, right? So you, you kind of have to weed those people out in the organisation. The other thing is to drive their changing behaviour through their teams. You kind of almost get their peers to maybe change their behaviours 
um, is a really powerful way because as a transformation team or a change team, you're just not as credible. So there's different ways to deal with it without saying, you know, we just move more on or we, because th that's the least desirable outcome for any of this. But you do need to at some point say, well, actually, are these people going to be on the journey with us or not? And is it an option to not be on the journey? And, uh, really difficult. Haven't we, you know what? It's less of an issue than you think. I think um, for me, the key thing with that is just not getting like visually frustrated. Granted, it's hard not to be frustrated at all. And some of that is um, is because it, you might not understand the reason why they're not on board and it's easy to have your own preconceptions. And so try not to get frustrated and try to understand. And that might mean having a number of coaching conversations. It might mean you stepping back and leaning on peers, like Andy said. I think um, the change champions piece I mentioned earlier, we went through some um Pretty significant changes a number of years ago at Zero in the way that, that we operated when we moved to the matrix operating model. And that was something that Zero as a business recognized that we needed. We needed change champions around the business at all different levels that were able to understand exactly the changes we were going through and why. Um, and so I think sometimes those change champions are the people that will help you the most in these scenarios because they will understand more so the what's going on in the mind of their peer than what certainly someone in leadership might understand if it's a role that they've not personally done before yeah is there such a thing as change fatigue or I guess conversely you know people who have dealt with so much change they almost become experts in it and sort of it doesn't bother them anymore so, so we, we have, we've had a specific challenge with this in Asset. So, and a, you know, hands up to this. We've done so much change so quickly. And lockdown, for many, was actually an opportunity in some respects because we could deliver change. And we could do a different approach and a different, you know, route to delivering change. But we could deliver it really quickly and really intensely. And the end result is change fatigue. The business just gets fed up with change. And the trick then, I think, is you turn it back to rather than a, a done-to type model which we always try and stay away from but sometimes it can feel a bit like that to actually be much more inclusive making sure that the, the business are driving the change agenda um, and and then just going to a bit of a lull it's not possible to maintain that intensity indefinitely it just isn't having been involved in so many change projects yourselves how do you find yourself dealing with change on a personal level i'm just I'm really curious as to whether all this time managing change has meant you kind of recognize it immediately, you know, when things arise. Um, maybe start to talk yourself through the process or if you find yourself kind of unwittingly just going through the change curve and then you get to a point and you think, oh, damn, I've done it. I'm at depression stage. <laughs> <laughs> what, not acceptance? <laughs> no. no, you've not, not recognized that. <laughs> I think I think you've, you've summed it up perfectly for me personally. You know, I find myself just going through the curve without realizing. What I have realized is I actually like to be slightly uncomfortable, and and I perform best when I'm slightly uncomfortable. So, kind of <laughs> being at that front end of the change curve for me is is actually kind of the optimal place for me. You know, when I get really comfortable, I'm down the other end. I'm like, you know, we're we're full on integration. You know that that for me is a less comfortable place because I I will tend to enjoy it less. I, I kind of enjoy the more frenetic, kind of frantic paced um, side of change, and 
you know, I don't do anything kind of consciously. I've just accepted that over the years, I guess. Uh, and it's what works. By the time you get to integration, Andy, you're already looking for your next change. You're already on with it, aren't you? You've already, already found well, it. Yeah, well, somebody is dealing with all the stuff in the backlog and I'm I'm busy <laughs> down the front end of the boat. Um, no, you're in denial. <laughs> absolutely right, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if being aware of the change curve and the different phases you'll go through necessarily helps you move through them any quicker. It just means that you're actually able then to identify where you are. I must say, I guess just having awareness of the change curve is helpful. If you were to each give one piece of advice for for a firm, whether they're small, large, ginormous, going through some form of change, whether it's small change, transformational, what would it be? Where, where, do, where do people begin? I always say communication. I just think it's really important. You've got to communicate regularly and be honest about it and contextualize that communication so that you get your different audiences on the on the right page and and only by doing that right from the the get-go will you get honesty back from your staff and be able to i guess gauge where your change program is going to go and how it's going to be received and if you don't do that and you all sit there as a maybe in the accountancy space there's a bunch of partners in a room and you make these decisions and then you kind of um, launch it into the uh, the business without any consultation chances are you'll get it completely wrong and fail as a result of that I think for me change is all about people it's about how you deliver the message how you manage people's mindsets it's about the vision but people's the key thing you need to get people on board to buy in to embrace change themselves and so that has to come from, again, what Wandy says, in, it has to come from how you communicate, but it has to be about the vision and making sure that people actually um, understand that vision. They they know that vision. They buy into it. They don't just see it as some vision. It, it has to be something that matters to them. Um, and then we, we've talked about the change curve an awful lot, but there's, there's other models for change. There's... Um, complex change models and they all start to focus in on do people have the relevant skills that they need to take them through those changes have we got the right incentives in place are we um using the right resources all of those types of things that become really important as well so i think um first off for me it's the people think about how your people are impacted don't think about your people as a team and a collective think about some of the individual representatives there and how you manage the individuals through change as well. And it might be that you have an organization of 4,000 people and so you can't think about how you manage every single person in that organization, but you can think about the profiles of people that you have and how then you manage those profiles through change so that then you can deliver the best message and the best vision for them to relate to. Thank you. I found that really insightful. It's it's brilliant to have both of you on to share your experiences and I'm sure our listeners have got a few nuggets of useful advice to take away when it comes to managing firms within their own business so yeah thank you so much you two on a lighter note we always do our beyond numbers quick fire questions to wrap things up so so i'm going to say a series of words or phrases and i want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind as quick as you can okay andy cloud accounting no one says sky or weather. It's always accounting, isn't it? Uh, cat, team. 
Player. Andy, future. Vision. Cat, change. Change champions. Nice. Andy, partnership. I'm going to say zero. <laughs> we'll take that. That'd yeah. be the correct answer, Andy. Well done. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> um, Cat, it's a... A great opportunity. Andy, disruption. Change. Nice. Okay, so Andy, if you were to change careers either tomorrow or maybe rewinding 10 or 20 years, what might you choose? Tree surgeon. Honest answer. Oh, nice. Yeah. Tell too me old, more. I'm too old for it now. I've seen them going up and down the trees and that's not happening. I'll be the bloke on the ground pointing. <laughs> Why would you be a tree surgeon? Um, I used to do a lot of rock climbing many years ago until I had a shoulder injury. And... Um, and I just loved the thought of it. It just seemed like a, it's outdoors. Um, it, you get to visit some nice places. It's quite active and yeah, just always fancied it. Very niche, I like it. Cat, if you were going to give up on the world of accountancy entirely, what would you spend your days doing? Do you know, if I was going to give up on the world of accountancy and I had all the money in the world, I would spend the days outdoors. I would climb mountains, I would take the dogs out, I'd play with my daughter. That sounds delightful. Well, on that note, uh, we will wrap things up on this episode of Beyond Numbers. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kat and Andy. Really appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Ash. You've been listening to Beyond Numbers, brought to you by Zero, produced by Birdline Media. If you heard something that caught your attention, share the episode with your colleagues so they can listen too. Thanks for listening. 